The reading of the Scriptures, Genesis chapter 17, reading the entire chapter. invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word, and as always, may God give us grace, both in the reading and the hearing of the Word, to do so uh, with faith. So from Genesis chapter 17, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into a nation, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought or bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his forked skin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall call her name, uh, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. 
Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We worship you. Great is our God. Greatly to be praised. Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you for every good gift that comes to us. Uh, We return a measure of what you have given to us uh, for you to use for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven and for the welfare of others. Uh, We implore you, O Father, remember us, uh, our many needs, sick, infirmity, age, We're in a world uh, that has fallen. We need thy protection, both physically and uh, for the heart. Uh, Help us to guard and keep it, that you be our keepers, O Father. Bless our homes, our ministry in this church, here to one another and also to the community in which you have put us. Now, Father, bless your word to us. Your word is life-giving, sharp and active. Uh, do its bidding for us this morning. Make haste, O God, in all these things. Make haste to help us. And so, Father, we leave off worshiping, uh, honoring Christ, the preeminent one in the church, the head of it. May all that we think and say and do in the remaining time of this service be honoring unto him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. I uh, find myself often, uh, whether uh, I I see someone, uh, most generally a a young lady, or not necessarily young, but uh, wearing a cross. Uh, Yesterday evening, I went into a home. Before I entered the door, there was a cross. I went inside the home, and there were crosses. I, I enjoy seeing crosses. Uh, beyond that, covenantal signs are very important. Certainly there's one here that uh, is very important to uh, Old Testament saints. Um, but there's something that's much more important than the sign. Uh, and that is what is signified by the sign. Uh, and that is what I believe is important from the text is before us. Uh, So God's grace initiates a reaffirmation of the covenant promises with both Abraham and Sarah's wife. Confirmed in a couple of profound ways. First, he changes their names. Signifying um, his blessings to be upon them in a profound way. Uh, And then he gives to Abraham and his household a covenantal sign. And Abraham obeys that sign. He engages the sign. Uh, was was costly in a measure, but uh, signs are. But the greater reality is what what do those signs mean? What do they signify? So, uh, the text before us, uh, verses one to eight, divine one to eight. Pardon me. Divine grace initiates a reaffirmation of the covenantal promises. Um, we need our faith reaffirmed all the time. That's why we read or should read our Bibles. Why we should go to church. 
have fellowship with the saints, because like Abraham, sometimes uh, we wonder if God's going to care for us in the future. Uh, Moses uh, captures a measure of that in the tension. In the very first verse, when he tells us Abraham is 99 years old. Now, this means that 13 years have elapsed since his last contact with God, 1611. In and of itself, that's a tension. It's hard to wait for the Lord. 13 years is a long time to wait for the Lord. And over and over again, the promises come, reminding Abraham to trust God and to wait upon the Lord. Now he appears and describes his nature in a name. And that is essential for us to understand. All these promises are worthless without God's nature. So God comes to reaffirm the promise, not only in words, but in describing who he is. He says, I am El Shaddai. Uh, I've seen this text, uh, as you know, I've mentioned this, um, as God is the Lord of the mountain. If you will, the King of the mountain. I take it as a reference to sufficiency, and God alone is sufficient. Of all the beings of all the world, only God is sufficient in himself. He needs no one. He needs nothing. He is entirely sufficient in and of himself. He needs to depend upon no one because he is totally self-contained in his majesty and his eternality and his infinite perfections and greatness. And the context, of course, is uh, very sharp for us because it means he does not need the help of Abraham and Sarah. And they've been want to help him. In fact, in this very text, they're going to try to help him again. And over and over again, God is stripping that away. Abraham begins, well, maybe Lot. Maybe Lot is the son of promise. No, it's not Lot. On and on, uh, the tension begins to mount and Abraham as is the case with Sarah's getting older and older. Uh, and because of who God is, uh, he is able to fulfill his promises to Abraham, to Sarah, and to you and me. And thus, Abraham is to walk blameless before God, signifying God's provision of grace. Because God is the God of grace, uh, it's to be signified in the conduct of Abraham's life, captured in the word to walk. Walk before me in your conduct. That's one of the first things I think about when I see uh, 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 someone wearing a cross, male or female. Uh, I, I get the sign. That's your conduct. That's why I'm, 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 I don't wear crosses, because I'm always worried about my conduct. And so I always trust in God's grace to help me to act appropriately. Because if I'm wearing a sign and I act inappropriately, somewhere, ah, somewhere there goes another hypocrite. Ah, Christians, such a bunch of uh, hypocrites. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you whether you should wear a cross or not, or whatever it is you should wear. But uh, I, I'm somewhat terrified by those things, uh, because each and every day, I know I must depend upon God's grace to trust Him and to uh, walk before Him uh, and to be blameless before Him. Uh, the word blameless is very interesting. Used to the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament uh, Mosaic Covenant. They were to be blameless without spot or without blemish. 
the word can also be translated whole or complete, or a word referencing integrity, but more critically, it means that uh, his walk is to signify that he is totally and entirely God's. He's trusting no one else to fulfill the promises, but God in his grace. And in our faith, there are no shared loyalties or affections. Uh, the promise is uh, from God that I will give my covenant and multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham immediately falls down accordingly, meaning that he understands. And he falls down as an act of worship. And God reaffirms the covenant and promises that he will be the father of many nations and changes his name accordingly to signify that great change is coming. The new name is to to acknowledge that God is uh, about to act in a profoundly beautiful way. But to signify uh, that God is the one who has dominion over him, totally and entirely. Uh, It applies to you and me. In uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, uh, Jesus speaking to the churches, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name, which is on that stone. So God renames us too. Profoundly significant. Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar, the temple of my God. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. Um, Greg Beale in his commentary on Revelation says that we receive... A Jesus' victorious name written upon us, signifying our new identity. We belong wholly and entirely to Him, and we are to walk accordingly. Victorious name. And this is a very important causal connection, uh, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 17. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. It is... Uh, an allusion to Genesis 1.28. Adam, you're to be fruitful and multiply. Adam fails. God is still gracious to him, but Adam fails. Be fruitful and multiply. Over and over again, we've seen the failure of God's servants, uh, like Noah. Um, now, God is going to make it happen in His grace. I will make you fruitful. He does. He does. Abraham becomes uh, the father of nations, but in particular, he has many sons of glory and divine affirmation that God makes it happen. The sons he will have uh, are a testimony um, of divine intervention, reminder of God's grace. The fact that royalty comes from him speaks it uh, perhaps to the kings of Israel, but more importantly, King Messiah. Uh, followed in verse 7, I will establish my covenant with all of your generations. The text again reminding us of certainty, uh, generational and perpetual continuity and universality. He's going to give him the land as an everlasting possession. It's fulfilled by his uh, sons yet to come uh, as they uh, receive the entire land of Israel then they lose it. That's what men do. They lose the provisions of God in their unfaithfulness. 
Israel's case, their idolatry. Uh, and the promises, of course, are a reminder of uh, duty. Uh, but the cause is always grace. And Abraham's act of worship confirms this. That there's a cause-effect relationship. There's a covenantal sign. What causes the sign is what is signified. What does it signify? The grace of God. We see that in a measure that God is going to make him uh, fruitful and that God renames both Abraham and Sarah. Verses 9 to 14, God confirms his promises with a sign that is to be in effect throughout the Old Testament generation. Um, it's a cutting of the flesh. It's a duty. Uh, if you look at, look at verse 9. Uh, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. So he has a duty before God. And then there follows the covenantal sign that governs the entire Old Testament as a testimony of something that's much, much more profound than the cutting of the flesh. Signifies a much, much greater spiritual reality. Um, See this in a measure in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, God tells the nation, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no more. In other words, Cut away all your loyalties. Cut away the flesh from ruling and governing your life. Be obedient to me. Now turn with me, if you would, to the greater reality of what is signified. Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 6, is a great, great promise of something that's going to occur in the future. Deuteronomy 36 begins to speak to what uh, the covenant sign of circumcision is to signify. It's the greater reality. What does it tell us? This is what it tells us. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. In other words, there was a physical sign that all the males were to practice. The greater spiritual reality is the heart. And only God can work on the heart. And God promises here to do just that. I will circumcise your heart. Again, the sign, the flesh, what's it signified? Divine action. Throughout the entire Old Testament dispensation, and even today, among the the literal sons of Israel, uh, they continue to practice this sign. But again, the sign never stands alone. It's not a bare, if you will, naked sign. It is to signify the cutting of the heart, the cutting of the way of old loyalties, the cutting of the way of the flesh that... uh, rules uh, the heart of the natural man. And only God can do that. Men can cut their flesh. Only God cuts hearts. And the former is to signify the latter. And without the latter, the former is utterly meaningless. It's like, you know, you, you wear a cross to identify yourself with the Christian faith, but you live 
the way your life the way you want to? Uh, you have many, many loyalties? No, it's, it becomes almost a sign of judgment. So be careful. Signs are important, but they signify what's much, much greater, much, much more profoundly true. Uh, there is an in-time allusion uh, to the fulfillment of this text in the New Testament. Turn with me, if you would, in your New Testaments to Colossians chapter 2. So God promises in Deuteronomy 30 that He's going to act. He's going to make the sign real and make it happen. Uh, the Apostle Paul alludes to this text. Colossians uh, chapter 2. Going to read uh, verses uh, 10 to 13. Uh, notice how the text begins, all about the majesty of Christ. Verse 9, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ was always God. There never was a time He was not God. He will forever be God because of who He is. All fullness of deity dwells in the majesty of the Son of God. And in Him you have been made complete. Notice complete. Make yourself whole. In Him we are made whole by His grace. And He is the head over all rule and authority. Now notice the beauty of the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30. And in Him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised up with Him through faith and the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. In a moment, the end time fulfillment portrayed in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is now realized in the majesty of Christ, who does the cutting of our hearts and makes us loyal to Him. We can do the sign. Only He can do what the sign signifies. And how does He do it? In the majesty of His grace. Fulfilling the promises of Abraham in Christ. The cutting of the flesh. Figurative for breaking of the dominion of the flesh. Paul is in a measure much more expansive, I believe, in, in uh, describing this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Uh, but God cuts us. Notice the text, made without hands, something only He can do. Uh, oftentimes meet people uh, who uh, tell me, well, I, I have to have heart surgery. I have to put a couple stents in or uh, lay me bare and fix this and fix that. Uh, the wonders of modern medicine, absolutely incredible. But God can spiritually operate on the heart and uh, cut away the dominion of the old and make us new. And our identification with Christ and His uh, baptism to death and His resurrection, the majesty of life, the residual power that is entirely uh, efficient in and of itself to sweep us into His kingdom, signifying His grace, a cutting of the heart made without hands. And the result is we love Him wholly. And thus our union with Christ includes His life-giving force as a continuing force 
of our liberation. The majesty of grace. We can do one, we can't do the other. Only God can do the other, which is the cutting of the heart. It's what the sign was to signify. Certainly signifies it in Abraham's life because remember, this is Genesis 17. In Genesis 15, he believed God. It was imputed to him the very righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ. That's grace. Sovereign grace. In the New Testament, the Old Testament sign is now irrelevant because Christ affects the circumcision within us by His power. In other words, ethnic Jews trust the physical sign. It means nothing. What's signified by the sign means everything. That's why the Old Testament sign uh, ceases to have any any relevance to the New Testament saints. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Uh, And his praise is not from men, but from God. That's why when men join the church, I don't say, well, have you engaged this sign? It's irrelevant. Because Christ is the one who does it to the heart. That is what is signified by the Old Testament institution. And that is far greater than the former. We see it in Philippians 3.3. Paul tells the church something that Old Testament Israel has yet to figure out. We are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Grace of God. We are. They aspire to be. They can never be apart from the grace of God. Christ is the one who makes the true circumcision special. As He cuts away the dominion of the flesh from the heart. So, absent uh, duty, uh, the uncircumcised are going to be cut off. Uh, Moses tells Abraham and his family. Verse 14. Uh, I read this because there's a beautiful play on words here that's important to grasp. Uh, that even in and of itself speaks to the majesty of Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. Um, But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, or namely one who is uncut, uh, that person will be cut off. Application is to the gospel. Uh, It's very interesting if you study history of Jews, particularly in the time of the reign, the terrible, wicked, evil, dark reign, uh, the Nazis. Uh, uh, lots of times men uh, identified who Jews were by whether they were cut or not. And then they sent them off to the death camps. Wait a minute. We've been cut by Christ. We will never die because we will live forever in Him. The majesty of grace. The majesty 
of what the Old Testament sign was to point to and to signify. And by the way, woe to those who have their hope in the physical sign. Because there is no hope. It's what in the sign signifies. The gospel. You're not a Christian. Only he can cut your heart. Flee to him. Ask him to do the surgery. Ask him, by his grace, to give you forgiveness. And to break the dominion of the flesh that you might live for him. Which only he can do. And only his power can make happen. The gospel. Forgiveness is in Christ alone. In verses 15 to 21, the promises do something all the more majestic. It's not just for Abraham, is it? For Sarah too. She too is elevated. She's now named Sarah, meaning princess. It's very ironic uh, certainly in Abraham's time, ancient Near East women were virtually second-class citizens. Sarah's not. She's elevated as a princess. She's elevated in equality with Abraham. In the New Testament, it's the same. There's neither male nor female. All of us are equal before God but because of His grace. The whole world is enveloped in trouble over this. Uh, people trying to make themselves relevant. Uh, we don't make, we don't make ourselves relevant. God does. God gives us standing. Not our gender. Neither male nor female. What is it? The grace of God in Jesus Christ. Majesty of His grace. What is signified? Her name is changed, referencing her princess status, reflecting God's sovereign lordship over her as well. And like Abraham, she is advanced in age too. But she's going to have a son and become the mother of nations from whom nobility will come to. The beauty of her status now before the grace of God. By the way, to all the ladies in this room who know the Savior, the beauty of your status of equality because of Jesus. Well, Abraham laughs. Internally. Text, text is quite clear. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man who's 100 years old and Sarah who's 90 years old bear a child? Remember how the chapter began. I am El Shaddai. God will make it happen. And he does. It's a very important, if you turn to the book of Romans, New Testament allusion to this text in Romans chapter 4. It's profoundly important as we understand the covenant of grace, which the Old Testament covenant was pointing to. The greater reality, what is signified, the majesty of the grace of God. Romans chapter 4 and verses 19 to 21. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. It was physically impossible 
Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in belief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. El Shaddai will make it happen. And we're on the brink of watching it. Promise and ability comes from God. Makes it happen in our lives. The immediate context is creating uh, creating life. It's the reality that God saves the patriarch and create from him numbers without end, like the sands of the seashore. Sovereign grace will make it happen. In the New Testament, the greater fulfillment is in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. He is the ultimate seed that will make it happen. He will create many sons for glory. If you know Him, He makes you a son of glory. If you don't know Him, flee to Him. He's the only one that can make you a son of God and a son of glory. Abraham translates all this like we oftentimes do. We translate in the way we think and feel that God will use Ishmael who is not a son of promise. He says, well, let me think. Uh, God didn't want me to use Lot. Maybe it's Ishmael, uh, the son that I had through uh, Hagar, Sarah's uh, mistress. Uh, That was a blunder by Abraham. God says, no, it's not going to be but through Sarah. And you're going to call his name Isaac. It's an ironic name, means he laughs or will laugh. What's the laughter about? The joy of having the son of promise. The name is obviously a play on the irony of Abraham's laughing. And and note something else in this text. God knew that Abraham was laughing internally in incredulity. is slowly warming to the reality that God will make it happen. Now he's a bit incredulous, but he will, he will have it affirmed to be sure. God knows our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. And every word before it comes off our tongue, he knows everything about us. The psalmist says our sitting down and our rising up He knows us. So be careful what you set your heart to and what you see and what you think about and what you read. Uh, I love the doxology of Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do beyond all that we ask or think because He is the God of Almighty power. Uh, In common grace, God is going to be kind and gracious to Ishmael. It was a blunder on behalf of Abraham and Sarah, but God is going to be gracious to Ishmael. Uh, he will prosper physically and be fruitful and multiply. Nobility will come from him too, but he is not the son of promise. And by the way, common grace should chase us to God's efficacious grace. We should give thanks for the food on our tables. We should give thanks for medical science and technology and all the provisions of the common world, uh, that it rains upon the just and the unjust so that we can have crops and harvest wheat and uh, I don't know, what's your favorite? Squash, to be sure. Not mine, but whatever it is you give thanks to. But should remind us that there's a greater form of grace, God operating the heart. 
God cutting us to make us true sons. Uh, common grace, while not salvific, should quicken us, chase us. If God is so majestic in His power and the beauty of this physical creation, what is all the more beautiful is the spiritual creation in Christ who is the creator of His church. Oh God, make me new and whole in Him by Your grace. Well, Abraham commits an obedience, doesn't he? Verses 22 to 27, he engages the sign. He obeys God as a testimony of what? That in Genesis 15, 6, he believed God and God imputed his righteousness to him. Obedience is ultimately a sign that we truly believe God. And Abraham, to his physical hurt and to the hurt of his household, Engages the sign of circumcision. But I remind you of something that ethnic Israel has yet to understand because our hearts are of the flesh. The sign does not signify that he is a true son of God. His faith does. Genesis 15, 6. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. By application, ladies and gentlemen, the New Testament analog are our sacraments of baptism and the Lord's table. In baptism, we identify with Christ's death and resurrection. We were buried with Him and we rise again with Him. We partake of that sign once that we belong to the Lord. Lord's table, we partake up perpetually. This do in remembrance of me. That Christ is our provision because His flesh was cut and He bled out. In the cutting of His flesh, we have the forgiveness of sin. That He is our heavenly manna that provides for us a spiritual provision to go through this dry and thirsty land governed by the flesh. We, we partake of the sacrament that Christ inaugurates for us. But it's not the sign, is it? Uh, once a month, we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Is, it, is there something that's important about eating and drinking? Well, it's a sign of obedience. This do in remembrance of me. But I always remind you, it's what is signified by the sign. That we have in Christ all the benefits of the new covenant, including the forgiveness of sin. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is ours. None withheld. I know some of you are thinking, well, God has withheld some from me. I'm not sure what, but no, He has withheld nothing from you. Why? Because of you? No. Because of Christ. It's all because of Christ. From beginning to end, it's Christ. From Alpha to Omega, it's Christ. And everything in between. That's why God withholds nothing from you. Spiritual blessings. But yes, the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's table are profoundly important. 
By the way, you cannot partake of them at home. So many Christians stay at home and watch it on television. I mean, I get that if you're sick. Uh, I get that if you have some profound mobility problems. Well, call your church and they'll bring the sacraments to you. But it is, obey, obey. This do in remembrance of me. Uh, but remember what they signify. And Abraham commits based upon what God has done and the promises of his grace. And I, I contend perpetually, as you know, the effect that you and I practice is a testimony of what he has done internally in sovereign grace. Uh, because it is what is signified and the signs that we practice in baptism in the Lord's table signify God's grace, our identity with Him, and the grace of being in Christ. So we are to manifest like Abraham the signs of the covenant. Oh, but the greater. The greater is the covenant of grace and the cutting of the heart and our identification with Christ, our only Redeemer. If you don't know Him, flee to Him because only He can cut the heart. If you don't know Him, may He be gracious to you. May you sue Him for grace and peace and come to the beauty, the majesty of the treasure that belongs to the sons of God, forgiven for all time because of Him to whom we owe blessings and honor and glory forever.